Welcome to part four of our series entitled, I Love My Church. This has been such a fun series because we have been able to hear so many stories of transformation of people in the church, the lives of people that you see every single week. And here's what we love about stories of transformation. That when you hear somebody else's story, it gives you hope to understand that God can do it for you too. If he did it for them, he can do the same thing for you. And I pray that you've been encouraged this entire series. Football season is here. I know a lot of people love football, and we got a lot of football fans in the church. Matter of fact, let's do this. On the count of three, I want you to yell out your favorite football team. Okay, ready? One, two, three. Come on, say it out loud. That's, that's great. I'm, I'm glad we all agree, and I'm glad our church is walking in unity. <laughs> well, each, each football team has a coach, right? Every, every team has a coach. Well, a coach doesn't just run out on the field with no plan on how to accomplish his mission. He doesn't do that. And I mean, some of you are thinking, well, it sure looks like that for some teams, and we're not going to mention who those teams are, but you know who you are. <laughs> well, all the coaches, honestly, I'm kidding, of course, all the coaches have a plan on how to reach the mission. Well, I just want to tell you that Jesus wants to reach the world. That's the mission. And his plan has never changed. It has always been the local church. As a matter of fact, church was never man's idea. And just like a coach wouldn't go on the field without a plan, Jesus doesn't come to the earth without a plan. He wants to reach the world, and his plan is to use you and me and the local church around the globe. It was his idea. It's not man's idea. And to show you this, our theme verse is Matthew 16, 18 that says, I, Jesus is talking, I will build my church. Notice it's possessive. Notice Jesus is, is saying what he's going to do. I'm going to build my church. And then he says, it's going to be so amazing that nothing in the world can be able to stop it. Not even the gates of Hades will be able to prevail against it. Here's a statement that we've learned over the last few weeks, and that is that the local church is the hope of the world. Say this out loud, everybody together. The local church is the hope of the world. One more time, nice and loud, everybody. The local church is the hope of the world. That's his plan to use the church. And then Ephesians chapter 5 comes along and says that Christ is the head of the church. It's his body. What's his body? The church is. You can't decapitate Jesus, ladies and gentlemen. You can't say, I love Jesus, but we hate the church. We can't say that because the church is his body. And he's the Savior. Listen, the Bible goes on to say he's the Savior. He wants to save us. Now, let me ask you a question. Okay, listen, if Jesus was willing to birth the church, turn around and lay down his life for the church, how many think the church is probably pretty important to Jesus, right? It is definitely important to him. And as followers of Jesus, what is important to him ought to be important to us if we say that we love him. So the church becomes a huge priority to us, not just something we attend or go to occasionally. It becomes a major focus for us. Here's a big question I've been asking over the last couple weeks, and that's why do you even go to church? Why do you go to church? Some people, all, obviously, we all have a natural tendency to be self-centered, and we go to church for us for a lot of times. I want to hear the worship. I want to hear the message. Speak to me, or I want to hear the great music. Listen, that's stuff you can do by yourself at home in the privacy of your own home on the Internet. There's, there's great bands, there's great sermons and preachers all around the globe. The only thing you cannot do alone is love, and you serve people. And God wanted to create an environment where that could take place, that he wanted us to become so close as a team because our mission is to reach the world, and we can't do that if we're all spread out everywhere. 
And I'm just telling you, ladies and gentlemen, God wants us as the church to accomplish the mission of reaching people, people just like this. We're on our way to yet another house to hear yet another story. And this woman's story that you're going to hear next is powerful. She's probably one of the sweetest ladies on the planet, and I mean that. And what God has brought her through is only testimony to what He can do in your life. Um, sir, I'm going to need you to turn your music way down. Somebody's bumping over here. I'm trying to record! Fellowship Church Home Invasion! How are you, Pat? Do you love your church? Absolutely. Does your dog love your church? Yes, he does. <laughs> We're so glad you let us come in today. Love you. Come on in, guys. Pat, thank you so much for taking time to share your story with mm -hmm. us. Um, you're one of the most precious women I know, and oh, what God's you. done in your life has been absolutely incredible. Absolutely. And you've only been coming to the church now for how long? Three years. It was three years in December. Wow. Tell me a little bit about what God has done in your life. Where were you before Fellowship Church? And I really felt like I had a, a good relationship with the Lord. I really did until I came to fellowship and never had anybody ask me what my spiritual gifts were. I, I, I never really thought I had any. I mean, I just thought I've got a relationship with the Lord and that was it. And that, but to find out that I do, that, that God has blessed me with so many different things and to utilize them, to really use them for good. You know, 87% of the body of Christ or 87% of people that go to church have no idea what their spiritual gift is. And I think that a lot of the church is, is probably mm -hmm not functioning to the degree that God has intended it because oh. we just don't know. Your husband loved the church. Oh, absolutely. And we loved him. Wow. And he was such a precious man. Wow. And you walked through something recently where he went to heaven. Mm -hmm. He went home. He went home. Tell me a little bit about that experience and how it, the church was uh, was crucial in that season for it you. Was well, it was really a shock because last September is when he got sick. Basically, he had a fungus that destroyed his lungs and that, and they gave him six months to live. And even when we cried together when we first heard the news, we still, and neither one of us, and I look back and I think, I don't know why we didn't, but we just never said, God, why me or why us? We just didn't. We just, we just were thankful the time that we did have and thankful for each day that we had. And that's what we prayed, and that's what I pray now, and that's what I write in my journal. Thank you, Lord, for another day. Help me to use it as wisely as I can. Help me to have other people experience the love of God that I have. I mean, I've got so much to be thankful for. And if you, I know people would say, you know, ask me, well, how did you handle it? And I said, well, I'm thankful that we at least knew. And if we lived our life knowing that this was our last day, how much better off we'd all be. Wow. Small groups have changed my life in many ways. And that by going to it, I've actually got in a relationship w with other women and you find out that you have so much things in common. And even the ones that I had in my home, I felt like I was gonna help somebody else, but I can't believe how much they blessed me yeah. by having it. 
It's just, it's just being obedient and opening your home and opening your heart to other people. Then the life group, this life that I took right after Ken passed away. And I was debating about taking it because it was kind of challenging for me and that, but I'm so glad I did. All I kept on saying was, thank you, Jesus, thank you, Jesus. I mean, I just felt, I felt so, such a relief and such a, just a closeness with God and knowing that every day just to, just to be faithful to him and just to thank him, thank him, thank him, thank him. Yeah. So you greet people. Yeah. Why, why do you greet people? Because I like to see people, I like to see people when they come in, they're kind of sad faced or just kind of looking like they're, to say good morning or God bless you or something like that, to see their face light up. I don't, I don't know why, it just, it makes me feel good. Because if they're happy and they're, they've started off good, then they're more accepting of everything else that comes their way. Yeah, it's, I really think so. It's really true. I've heard it said that in the first three minutes of someone attending a church, mm -hmm. they make up their mind whether they're going to come back or not. I love our dream team for that reason because they serve Absolutely. so selflessly, so mm -hmm. sacrificially mm -hmm. to make sure someone else, their experience is as pleasant as theirs was right. when you first came. What's Jesus done for your family through the church? Wow. It's making it come alive. It really has. I just, I could not imagine myself without you guys. I'm serious. I really can. It would be, oh, it would be devastating. It really, really would. It's given me a whole relationship with God that I never, I never thought anybody could have. I really didn't. You went through that incredible storm yeah. and yet ran to the church. You mm -hmm. found grace, you found hope in the church mm -hmm. and in Jesus. And love. And yes. love there. And you would continue to serve. Absolutely. You continue to serve on the dream team, continue mm -hmm. to lead a small group. Mm -hmm. It's a family. It really, really is. And I, I don't think I would have ever said that about a church. You found community. Oh, absolutely. And, and love. Yeah. And love. And love. My name is Pat Stalker, and I love my church. Write this in your notes, everybody, that the church is a place to discover my gifts. It's a, it's a place for you and me to discover our gifts. First Peter comes along in chapter 4, verse 10, and says, As each of you has received a gift. Listen to me. You have a gift. Some of you are like, I don't even know what that is. Great, because we as a church want to help you find that out. And that's in our growth track that takes place. Step three, we want to help you discover what makes you unique, sets you loose in your passion so you can serve people in the church and make the biggest difference on the planet you possibly can. You have a gift, and then he says, use it. Don't set it on the shelf. Don't put it there for years and years and years, and then one day dust it off, and now I'm going to finally use my gift. No, he says, use your gift. Where? How? Use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Pat is such a great woman, and we love her whole family. But she had no clue what her gift was, or the fact that God wanted to use her as a conduit of grace to reach other people. Before she came to this church, she was religious but empty. Maybe some of you know what that feels like, to be religious on the inside, but you feel so empty, like there's got to be more. And she didn't understand what all of this really meant until she came in here. She found family. She found a place to belong. She found love. She found a closeness to God that she didn't even know was possible. She found a safe place. She found a refuge. She found a group of people to walk through the most devastating time of her life with. And now, on the other side of that, she wants to take the same grace that she's been shown and reach out to bless other people, people just like this.
Scott and Stacy, thanks so much for taking time out of your busy schedule to share your story. Why don't you take me back for a moment and just tell me where you were, what was going on in your life? Well, I could pretty much say it was chaos. Trying to make everything look right on the outside, yeah. but it wasn't. Living in this community, you know how to, um, you, there's an image piece that you have. And so on the outside, things looked really great, but on the inside, we were dying inside. Our life was at a point where I was ready for a divorce and thinking, how am I going to tell people? What is this going to mean for our family? Um, I spent eight months pretty much by myself without my wife, nor my daughter, um, which will really, really wake you up. What were you feeling during that season? Lost, feeling that no one to talk to because you don't always want to disclose really what's going on in your, the inside of your life. Some of the situations that uh, brought us to devastation was me having chronic pain and I would just numb everything with another pill. To the end of it, I ended up taking four to five Norcos a day and other pain medication just to knock the edge off. We were going in different directions and just couldn't seem to communicate. We tried counseling and I finally got to the point, I'm not a quitter, I'm a fixer. I fix, I fix things in my life, I fix things for other people, but I couldn't fix myself. I couldn't fix our marriage. Um, I felt helpless. I was desperate, so I, the only thing I could do was look up. What you call hitting rock bottom. We were both involved in the addiction of working out. It was steroids, which created, you know, a lot of different things that, unless someone's lived with someone that is used steroids, you just don't know and you hide it. False sense of security. It was an escape also from what was going on at home. When I married Scott, he was just the, the one in the room that was soft-spoken and caring. And it's almost as if the, it creates a monster inside of a person. And the amount of energy that you put into hiding all these things from, you know, your child, you think that you're hiding it all, but they do sense. They, they sense that something's wrong. We weren't in church a lot. It didn't kind of lost touch with church friends because we were um, in Sacramento and LA every weekend. Now all of us have a mask, all of us do, but I've dreamt of a church where we could just be real. Where we don't have to come into church, how you doing, fine and you, and most of the time we're lying through our teeth. We're dying on the inside. I've dreamt of a church where we can be real and say, listen, you have issues, I have issues. Let's work on them together. Let's come to Jesus because he's the only one who can heal. And this is what you guys have found. Talk to me about now the journey out of that dark period of time. What took place at Fellowship Church? What happened? Um, sometimes God speaks to us, I find, through tragedy. And there was a, uh, my daughter was bullied. So we moved to our high schools. We prayed about it and just did it and thought we're gonna link arms as a couple, even though there were a lot of still things going on in our marriage we were going to do this. And so she changed schools. And if she hadn't changed schools, we wouldn't have met the girls and the families that we met. And we wouldn't have had the opportunity to even come to Fellowship Church because the daughter invited Gracie. And so then when we came, 
then her, the mom came up and introduced herself and was so kind to us. And it was just a different feeling, huh? When we walked in and you had announced you were doing a marriage series and I thought, oh great, because that means that anytime we tried counseling, things would be difficult. And the marriage series started and we went to separate services, I think, for the first one. Every message, even after the marriage series, spoke to right where we were at. I kept leaving going, this is impossible. Why is every single one of these exactly what I needed this week? And some devastating things came, but the difference this time is we weren't ready to quit because God had done so much healing after that marriage series and our hearts week by week that by the time this next tragedy rolled around at the end of January, we were able to handle it. Able to handle it. The church was a place where people who have had a past, um, like myself, maybe with substance abuse, um, which I really liked, it didn't seem like you were going to be judged because of that. Write this down in your notes, everybody, that the church is a place of restoration. Church is a place of restoration. Scott and Stacy said that their entire lives were falling apart. And maybe you're there. Maybe you can totally relate to that. And if that's you, I want to encourage you and let you know that Jesus wants to come and restore your life today. It's funny because on television, there are a lot of TV shows now that are dedicated to restoration. There are certain guys that want to go find old dilapidated cars, old vintage cars to restore. And so they walk through old junkyards looking for cars, cars that have been thrown away and forgotten due to abuse and weather. And so they buy these cars, and they begin the restoration process. But this restoration process consists of more than just slapping some paint on an old rusty bucket. You can't paint over the rust. That's just a temporary fix. It will come back and resurface. I guarantee you the rust will then eventually take over the entire car. No, this is an in-depth process of replacing old parts with new parts. They replace the old engine with a new engine. They replace the old seats with new seats. They replace the old tires with new tires to the point where when they are finished with this restoration process, it's really not even the same car. They have taken this broke down, rusty, dilapidated car, transformed it into a brand new car where it now sits at a car show on display for everybody to see. Can I tell you the same thing can be said of you and me? And the fact is that sin erodes, it corrupts, it weakens, and it destroys. And we all know what that feels like. We all know what it feels like for our lives to be forgotten and thrown to the side. And we feel broken, and we feel hurt, we feel frustrated, and we feel confused. But can I tell you, ladies and gentlemen, we have a God who is on the hunt for lost humanity because he specializes in restoration. And when he finds you, he's not going to just throw some pain over your old life. He makes everything brand new. He replaces your old mind with your new mind. He replaces the old heart with a new heart. He replaces your old life with a new life. And I'm telling you he wants to come in and take your old broken life and Psalm 23 says that he restores my soul to the point where he makes you brand new and then places your life on display for the entire world to see his amazing grace in your life come on is there anybody that's grateful we have a God who knows how to forgive and restore and you kept saying small groups small groups and I kept saying, I don't know if I want to do the small groups. I'm around people every, all day and I come home so tired. 
another friend that Gracie met that we would not have met from Heritage. She invited me to come to a women's small group. We met at Panera and we were reading a book about a mighty warrior and that book was speaking to my heart and at the time we were hitting another piece in our life where God was going to put us through a real trial and um, I had these women there to pray for me and I thought okay I can't share with them everything that's going on but they didn't care they they prayed for me they sent me text messages and then through this whole thing we started talking about servolution and the girl who was leading the group started telling me about it and I looked at her and I said I think that's why I'm so comfortable with you I think I know you did you ever go out to this school I'm sitting in a meeting and I hear someone say what are those people doing they are praying around the sign I'm gonna go tell them to stop at your school at my school at my public school and I said no no wait I'll take care of it because I thought I'm going out there going in the middle of that prayer because I need it right now and she said we did and we we brought snacks out to the school and I'm like that was me. And that, that just showed me that during this trial we were having, it was God's way of saying to me, Stacy, I'm here. And all those small groups, why would it be that one that I went to? So let me get this straight. Your small group, the small group that you were in, is talking about servolution. And they say we take snacks, we take energy drinks, and we go love the city. They decided to go to a school, and they're, they're blessing the teachers, they're blessing everybody there. You happen to be one of the recipients of that. You're the principal of that school. They prayed for you, and then you come full circle, and you end up in the very small group that reached you in the first place. <laughs> I love it. That's not coincidence. That is not coincidence. No. No. It's God's way of saying, regardless of how, how far you go from me, I'm still right here to remind you that I'm there to carry you through. And he did. Our faith has just been so strong. Our home has changed. So you renewed your commitment to Christ, mm -hmm. rededicated your life to Christ. Mm -hmm. Then what happened? Well, yeah. my brother has a, has a friend, and uh, he prayed for me. I woke up the next morning with zero pain. That was on January 17th, and I haven't taken a pill since. Come on. And pain-free. Pain-free. God has healed you. And back. I still work. Come on. So God was carrying me the whole time. I just needed to realize it myself. And now our next step is, you know, hopefully to be able to bring some of the friends to fellowship, but they noticed, and what is the difference, and it's, 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 it's Jesus and what he's done for us. A year ago, uh, and we did not even celebrate our 23rd wedding anniversary, and I spent that day figuring out um, who to call and what the next steps were as far as um, us splitting up and for good this time and not just talking about it. And then God's really started changing you from the inside and changing me from the inside. It seems like in the last 12 months we have new jobs, a church that loves us, people that saw us through some of the toughest times, not only in our marriage, but just in our life. To see the joy um, in our family and the peace and the relationships that have been healed. And just the joy of knowing that we walk in on a Sunday, regardless of what service we go to, and we're greeted with, hi, I'm so glad you're here. And to walk in and feel so refreshed for the week ahead. You know, to think you're able to really minister to others when you're just dying inside yourself. 
um, is so different than feeling the joy beyond words. Mm -hmm. It's now we have a purpose. Mm -hmm. I got my daughter back. We have a relationship that we haven't had in what? many years. Many years. Mm -hmm. I can't. The minute I try to doubt God, something right there comes up and says, "I am here, and I'm not leaving you." Um, it's actually been a very big change. I never really had a relationship with my dad. I held grudges against him for um, like decisions he's made, and I feel like ever since like I've let God into my life, and I know they have too, it's helped their marriage and just our relationship. I'd say when I was like younger, it's just a different vibe. Like there's like love in the house, and it's just a better atmosphere. And I actually enjoy being home. I'm so grateful because I don't really think we'd be where we are today. And that's really true. We're the Jocelyns and we love our church. Write this down that we are a church of small groups. Notice I didn't say we are a church that does small groups. We are a church of small groups. It's who we are. We do life together in relationship, in community. Acts chapter 5, verse 42, the Bible says that day after day, in the temple courts, that's big church, and from house to house, that's small groups. They never stop teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. Can I just tell you, Sundays aren't enough. I wish I could say Sundays were enough. That would make me feel good as a pastor. But I know the best stuff happens in the context of relationship in small groups. Has anybody noticed a trend, by the way? For the last four weeks, every story that we've played every Sunday has been a changed life story Somebody's life has been touched in a small group setting. You're never going to experience all that our church has to offer until you get into a small group and you do life together with other people. It'll make you stronger and better. We do life together. And I believe that your life can be better with small groups just like these. Let's check this last story out. Here we are rolling deep for the Fellowship Church Home Invasions. We're on our way to another story, and this next story is actually a father-son story. I love that because it's multi-generational. The church ought to be relevant to different age groups. And we come together every Sunday, and I'm so proud of this next family. I want you to hear it with your own ears. So turn your hearing aids up. This is going to be a good one. Let's go. Whoa, 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 whoa. Stop sign. Which house is it? We were, about to, we were about to go to a home invasion on the wrong house. That would have been awesome. How come everybody not drink that dog? Fellowship Church Home Invasion! <laughs> Do you love your church? Yeah. <laughs> he wasn't expecting this, but I smell cookies, ladies and gentlemen, and that's the glory of the Lord. The few months before uh, God led me um, to fellowship, it was actually the most difficult season that I had ever faced. There wasn't a whole lot of people that I could connect with on a personal level. I just fell into a very depressive state very quickly. And I feel like the enemy took full advantage of that. It drove me to the point where I, I genuinely believed that my calling and my purpose in life had just been forfeited. I looked at myself in the mirror and I, I hated the person that I saw. And it, it drove me to the point where 
or I wanted to die. Seven years ago, through some experience, bad experience and negative experience, in all those times, in my heart, it got little hearts and uh, I, I started getting bitter, angry, and because uh, um, the thing what happened in our life, and uh, I couldn't understand, and I don't want to know anything about the church. So I said, I don't want to deal with the church anymore. So I, in other words, I, I quit to God, but God didn't quit on me. My son, one, one, one day he came over and he said, uh, he was so happy and he said, hey, uh, um, I find home. And I said inside of me and I said, yeah, great. Here we go again. After two uh, negative experiences, I don't want to know anything about God. But after that, and I said, okay, we got to go. We went to the, to the service and I started to, I said, okay, I don't think this is going to be the same. And uh, then I got, a, uh, after a while, we started visiting a fellowship. Uh, Juan Carlos Galas invited me to some small group. And that small group, that's the one completely changed. I can say my life. It was one day that I was heading home from work and uh, I stopped at the red light um, over on Deer Valley and uh, there's the one corner that has a bunch of banners and signs and my eyes were drawn to one particular sign um, that just had a website. I got home, went up to my room, closed the door, um, pulled out my phone, typed in the web link and as I'm watching this page load it's the first thing that I see that just felt like God's hand reaching out and just grabbing a hold of me. It was just two giant words on the screen, hope and healing. And so I went the next Sunday uh, for the first time to Fellowship Church and the atmosphere and the culture that was in this, in this house that made me feel like it was home and that uh, I've known these people my, my entire life. It just had that, that vibe to it and I'm in a position where I genuinely believe I have no reason to ever doubt him again. Depression is such a real struggle for so many people. And what would you say to people who are in the crowd today, listening online, that are currently struggling with depression? What I would say as, as a word of encouragement is to understand that you're not the only person dealing with it. But also to understand that, that God sees everything about you, you know, that He knows you down to the innermost details and that that is someone worth trusting. The first step that we can take is making ourselves vulnerable enough, having the courage to approach God and be like, this is, this is how I feel, you know, this is where I am, help me and to know that that is exactly what he's going to do. I think most, if, if nearly all of the healing process that I experienced took place in small groups. I was dead, but he, he came on time. I realized and I understand that he never left me. I'm the one who left him, but he never did. He reached me out. He put his hand on the dirt and the mud and put me out. And I, he cleaned me, that's what I feel. And I said, okay, 
this is a brand new experience, this is a brand new. I want you to, to enjoy the life. I'm Steven. I'm Oscar. And, and we, we love, love our church. church. Many of you remember when we were trying to get into this building that I would say oftentimes that it's about a building, but it's not about a building. It's about what God can do in the lives of people inside of this building. And we thank God for this building because God moves in spaces and places, but it's always about people. And what I love about this building is that this used to be an old hardware store. This used to be a place where people came to get tools to fix their homes. Now it's turned into a place where people come to get tools to fix their lives in Jesus' name. And God wants to help you discover your gifts so you can bless other people. He wants to restore your life. He wants you in small groups to do life together with people. And lastly, write this last point down, that the church is a place where you can come alive. He wants you to come alive because of decisions and circumstances. Stephen and his father said that they felt dead on the inside. They felt hopeless. They felt confused. They felt like it was over, and they were so desperate, Stephen got to the place where he was contemplating suicide. Listen to me, everybody. This is a very real issue in our day. How many people are out there that had the worst week of their life? And they're thinking, because it's so hopeless, because they're in such despair, they want to end it all. Where? What's going to happen to them if we as the church don't run to pain? If we don't run to them and share the grace and the hope and the healing that we have received, it is our job. The local church is the hope of the world, not just in the four walls of this building, but in our community when we leave today. It wasn't until Stephen saw our sign with the two words God's given us as a church. Come on, say it out loud with me, everybody together. Hope and healing. Hope for your tomorrow and healing from your yesterday. It's all found in Jesus Christ. They came in here, they felt love, they felt family, they felt grace. They were restored, and they came alive. John eleven twenty five 25 says, Jesus is talking, and he says, I am the resurrection, and I am the life. Look at me, everybody. God brings dead things back to life. And I know some of you are here today, and you feel dead on the inside. And maybe you can relate to some of the stories you've heard over the last few weeks. I'm just telling you. God specializes in bringing things back to life. He wants to restore you, and then he wants to help discover the gifts inside of you so you can bless other people. I believe we can make the biggest impact in our day when we discover our gifts, we're walking together as a church, and we understand the purpose and the urgency of the hour to reach people. Let's go make another story together.